because sometimes you you have to you know draw the line and kind of um, take charge. But I I think that's a part of being a great producer, just being able to keep your cool no matter what happens. If something goes wrong on set, you have to like smile and pretend that everything's okay, or keep calm and figure out a way to fix things. Hey everybody, welcome back to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. If you've ever wondered what it takes to build major commercial productions or photo shoots and the person at the center of all of that, well, that person's called a producer. And today we have one of the best in Trang Dom. Trang is the director of production at Under Armour. And I classified her the other day to someone as a person who can literally do anything. So I think we've all got something to learn. So listen up. Jed, we are back, and this one's a special episode because I think um, part of the output that you and I have done on lots of projects for a number of years um, have been personally developed by this woman, has helped us spearhead some of the crazy-ass things we've asked her to do, and she's done it with a smile, usually. We are blessed and she has done it with a smile, but also there's something else that may have motivated us to do a good job for her. And that is this, and I don't know whether it's a rumor or true, but the word on the street, Trang, is that you have a knife and carry it with you, I think close to all times. Is that true? Yes. (laughs) Where does the knife, why the knife? It's my everyday carry. So it actually comes in handy a lot for cutting cardboard boxes (laughs) Doing cutting a lot of cardboard boxes yes. as the director of production at Absolutely. Under Armour. Yeah, yep. that's part of the role. It's not as glamorous as I thought it would no. be. It's my everyday carry is not something we've heard on the podcast yet. So that's like yeah. a really cool term. That's code. That's because you know your you, your spouse is a law enforcement and yep. and you uh, you know you you're in that world also. So it's very vernacular creative house. Yeah, everyday carry. Everyday carry. So. With that in mind, don't don't mess. I'll say mess for now with Trang. Um, all right, Trang, this is about you. So let's start with this. I think um, we like to give people an understanding of people's stories and things like that. So can you talk about not your career background, but your background, maybe childhood a little bit, education, that stuff, and spare no detail? Sure. You want me to start from the beginning? Yeah, please do. Very beginning. Um, let's go. <laughs> let's see. I was born in Vietnam. Um, like a lot of Vietnamese immigrants at that time, it was right after uh, Saigon fell to the communists. Uh, South Vietnam pretty much was now a communist um, state. So my dad's side of the family um, owned businesses and they were of Chinese descent. So pretty much they got kicked out of Vietnam. My grandmother took all of the possessions and sold her jewelry and pretty much bribed the family to get on this boat to escape Vietnam. So we ended up in Hong Kong um, in a refugee camp for like six to eight months. And a church in Columbia, Maryland sponsored us over. First it was my grandmother and my aunt and uncle, and then it was the rest of the family. So that's how I got to the U.S. Wow. That's a, I, I, can't imagine living through that. How old were you at the time? I was one. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have much memory of that? No. Okay. It's lots of photos and stories from family. Okay. And so you came over to the U.S. So let's keep going. What happened then? Let's see. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> well, Dude, I am now. I am too now because guess what? I grew up in Timonium, Maryland and yeah, didn't have to struggle for anything. So a few congratulations lives to start me. so dramatically with all that action. Yeah. I mean, really, it's like we're talking, we're born in Baltimore and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was but, pretty, relatively pretty easy. From there spring on. training was starting, I think. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> for, from the, the, the day of my birth, um, we were well into the 1977, uh, Baseball season, right? And so we're now, we are now in Maryland. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And, and, and you're, div- you're going to school with American kids. Was there a, a, a language thing that you need to kind of undertake or was, were, were you already speaking Vietnamese at that point or? Yeah. Speaking Vietnamese at home, my parents didn't know much English. Um, Ashley had to take ESOL, which is English as a second language in school and would, um, I remember on my report cards, just like reading the old report cards, it was like, you know, I was, I was mixing Vietnamese and English and uh, <laughs> here's a funny story. Not so funny because it, because at the time I got picked on, but uh, <laughs> so um, when they filled out the paperwork, they misspelled my name uh, instead of T-R-A-N-G, it was T-H-A-N-G. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my last na- <laughs> name is pronounced Dom. So uh, a lot of Americans pronounce it damn. And the teacher would go down like every year, a new teacher, they would say like, damn thing, damn thing. So till I got my citizenship, um, when I went to college, my official legal name was, um, thang damn. Wow. (laughs) Wow. All right. I also didn't know this. Yep. I think it's weird when people call me Jim. My name is James. (laughs) Except my name's Jed. So again, you've beaten another story of mine. So great. Killing it with the interest here. This is this is awesome. Well, um, I remember my third grade teacher, uh, the report card, she wrote, um, Dang is starting to spell her name differently with T-R-A-N-G. Let me know if it's okay <laughs> to my parents. You're starting to self-express. Yes, you're, yes. You're, you're, I, I decided that. <laughs> Thang is lashing out. <laughs> exactly. We should. She's referring to herself in the uh, a new name. Yes. You've rebranded yourself. <laughs> so then you, you brought up college. So then uh, at that point, are you creatively, what are you getting into? Um, because you have so many interests. This was like, you are this rare breed of like you went this route of really investigating a lot of different creative uh, roles. So you, you got into graphic design, you're a, a practicing photographer, and then you also have this crazy analytical brain that we'll get into in a little while. But at this point in your development, what, how are you expressing yourself? Um, well, I remember just getting into like video and film when my dad, I was in middle school and my dad bought one of those like old uh, VHS camcorders. And I don't know if you remember it. They were like huge and boxy at that time. I admit it. I remember. <laughs> and my cousins lived next door and they would come over and I would write and actually direct commercials with them. They were really bad. <laughs> and we also did music videos, but um, we didn't really play any instruments. We lip synced to uh, music and to yeah, let's hear it. Where are you lip syncing to? Um, to some Vietnamese music, for one, and then um, we did the Beach Boys and um, inappropriately, uh, who sang? I touch myself. Oh, um, shoot, what was her name? I don't know. Yeah, I know, I know, but I can't remember it right now. Well, now we'll come back on the to spot. It. Yeah. No, no, we'll no, get back we're to never that. Remember that? Yeah, we will. It's like Kylie Samantha Mo- Fox no. or something no, like that. No, I can't. I don't know. She more I need to Google that. We will. But, okay, uh, we will. Damn it. We should figure and out And these videos it. still exist or no? Yes. The, the band was called Perfection. <laughs> Wait, your band? Yes. Okay. Um, again, we played <laughs> fake instruments. Um, mm-hmm. My cousins were on the guitar or tennis rackets. And I played the drums, um, which were pots and pans and um, chopsticks. So... That didn't really pan out for us. We kind of broke up after a year and <laughs> kind of yeah. pursued different things. One, any any submissions to America's Funniest Home Videos? No, we should have. Absolutely. No, there was right. one one video. Um, we had a like a little uh, shih tzu at the time and he wasn't neutered. And uh, there were some portions where he would just come in and just start hugging legs. And uh-huh. we should definitely submit it. Huh. I cannot believe how awesome that would be to see. That would, I mean, they, today's world, people would definitely want to see that. So do they still exist? The they still exist. Oh. Yeah, they do. I might have to. Have you converted them via legacy box or anything like that? Not yet. I should. But we're I still we're have sponsored to be- by legacy, legacy <laughs> box. Hopefully someday we will be. So early peek into your future career was yeah. looking back was very, very, I guess, you know, um, developmental in terms of, were you ordering people around on set? Um not, not that you do that. Yeah, no, no. 
I would say ordering. I would say like directing. Organizing. <laughs> directing, <laughs> organizing, yep. blocking. But at that time, like, I didn't think that I would actually get into the industry. I remember just like editing with two VCRs. I don't know if you remember that. But <laughs> I also remember that since I'm the oldest one here. So, yeah. But um, then went to high school and took some art classes and photography, got into photography in the dark room and then joined the TV and AV club. So <laughs> we also did like um, every week we do like news cast for the school. And it was again on VHS tapes. And I didn't think I would get into that industry. Um, always loved art. But when got, we got to college, like my parents always wanted my sister and I to be like doctors or dentists and have better lives than them. So they didn't really um, think that being an artist was lucrative. But got to college, took some bio classes, was really bad in it. And then my high school art teacher, I remember visiting him and he was like, have you thought about graphic design? I'm like, what is that? <laughs> um, and the school I went to at the time, which is Western Maryland College or McDaniel, they changed the name um, had a graphic design program. So did that as my major. And then for my minor, it was business and communications. And hmm. yeah. So you did that. that and started with graphic design. Started with graphic design. Mm -hmm. You got out, you were working as a practicing graphic designer. Um, well, right after undergrad, I went to grad school because I didn't think I knew enough to get a real job. Mm. So I went to MICA, went to an, okay. an actual like art school and did their digital arts program. For masters and learned um, multimedia, which is uh, what's multimedia <laughs> at that time. <laughs> I, I absolutely no, it is no. I think that's actually audience. really yeah. funny though because that was around for you know say five to eight years, and all of a sudden it completely went away. The term multimedia. Yes. So yes. you should describe yeah. that. Like, what does that mean? So multimedia, I would say, like it's multidisciplinary, um, a combination. For my track, it was um, kind of web design, video, and a uh, little graphic design. And the programs we learned in um, grad school was Macromedia, Flash, Director. It's pretty much a multidisciplinary track with video, um, web CD design. CD-ROMs. Yes, CD-ROMs. Lots of <laughs> CDs at that time. Yeah. Wow. There will be people listening to this who have no idea what that even means, which is really crazy. We'll put links in the show notes. <laughs> Okay. Okay. How to make a CD-ROM tutorial. So you're at MICA and you're learning um, multimedia design, which to me, and I guess maybe to other people who want to a summary is different types of design that apply to different mediums, whether it be print or digital web, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty vast as well as editing. Right. 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 Editing meaning video editing. Video editing. So you're there. What, what happens? Like what happens next? So finished my master's and then got a job, um, right out of college, um, at Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a government consulting firm as a multimedia designer. That was an actual term back then. Um, worked there for about three and a half years. Um, and then wanted to go back into like print. So worked for university of Maryland for a two years doing some print and some multimedia there. Um, it was really cool because I got to do print and video and web design and a little bit of everything. And then I saw in the alumni posting for MICA a job position for Under Armour. It was for a video editor. And at the time, like Under Armour was big and booming. This was like back in 2006. And I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm not going to get this, but I'm going to apply. He's like, yeah, you should apply. <laughs> Hell yeah, you should apply. And I was happy at University of Maryland, but I was like, this is a once in a lifetime. If I don't get it, I don't get it. So I applied and uh, was um, Brian Borings, which he's now the VP of creatives, um, one of his first hires. So that was 12 years ago. That, wow. That's crazy. And I think that one of the things that Sean mentioned before also was photography, which you didn't mention just now, but were you getting into photography as well during school? Was it part of your coursework or was it outside? Yeah. So um, in high school, did some photography darkroom classes. And then when I got to college, um, was on the newspaper staff as a photographer, um, just photographing campus events. And um, when they had like concerts, would do that as well. 
So. You're a classic overachiever. Oh, thanks. It's true. <laughs> no, I mean, like, so for, I, I feel like it's obvious at this point, but what you just described is literally learning everything about creative, especially at the time, everything. Yeah, and you, that's not something that most people have the capacity to do. So I mean this affectionately, like you're a tinkerer, like you do throw yourself into learning whatever you have going on at that point in time. I just remember when we were trying to spin up a, another podcast, um, for the brand, I mean, you just went at it, you developed, you know, you, you researched all the equipment and we walk in one day and we have a professional looking suite of a podcast, whether it turned out professional, that's another thing, but you, you don't, you don't approach things half-assed, which, which now at this point in time in your career, looking back, you brought it all together at Under Armour. So you were hired as an editor. When did you sort of jump into say, Hey, you know what I want to do is really produce. Yeah. <laughs> So did editing um, and actually shooting behind the scenes and interviews um, for Under Armour for a couple of years. And then the team grew. So naturally kind of went into production um, because, you know, we were small at the time and a lot of stuff was you, get, you pretty much had to be doing everything. Um, so uh, producing small um, content series. And then eventually I remember like going into Brian's office and one time I was like, oh, this is awesome. All these big commercial spots. I want to do that. So I went into his office. I was like, Hey, next big commercial, I want to produce it. And he was like, all right, it's yours. I'm like, Oh crap. What did I get myself into? Because the next commercial was, um, this big cold gear campaign and it was actually, um, five locations, five athletes. And I pretty much didn't know what I was getting myself into. But, so you uh, learned on the fly. Yeah. You, you basically, <laughs> so hold on. Let, fake, it, let's, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's hold on for a second because again, I think part of creative how is to teach people um, things that they can do to become a particular thing. And so in this case, while you have a, a storied background and lots of different things, this is about being a producer. And I will say having worked in this industry for a long time, I didn't know for a while, but I've become to believe that being a producer is the hardest job that anyone has. So now you're saying I volunteered to do that and didn't really even know how to do it. And I don't want to skip over this because this is probably one of the most defining parts of your entire career. So Absolutely. you don't necessarily have to describe everything about that spot in detail, but I think that what people need to know is how did you figure out what you needed to do? How did that whole thing play out? Um, a lot of it was research and also tapping into great partners and kind of learning from the best in the industry. Uh, it's, it was just pretty much a, a bigger scale production and a lot to kind of juggle at the time. So we started for Chile. We shot in Chile with Lindsey Vaughn and um, partnered with a great company that kind of knew the ski industry, especially with film. And then um, for the other shoots that we did, they were a little smaller. So that was, you know, easier for me to produce, but kind of, uh, learning on the fly and learning from the best in the industry. So I've noticed that you, I think you have a little bit of an odd schedule relative to normal people. And did you, were you just not uh, sleeping at uh, all? At that no, I she doesn't sleep. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Yeah. And I don't know if you don't sleep or not, but it doesn't seem like you do. And in that case, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not, uh, I don't think you're high strung, but I think, I think you're like high achieving. So were you sleeping at I all? Think 3 a.m. 3 a.m. emails are part of the brand at this point. I'm trying. <laughs> oh, Pretty much. Part of the part of I'm, I'm getting brand. better. I stopped texting you guys. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> but literally like, did you sleep? Or were you like? No, for, for that I didn't. And I remember it was like, I was still at the office. It was 1 a.m. Um, one of the VPs came in. And he was like, what are you still doing here? Because he had just gotten back from like an event. And he was like, this is ridiculous. You need help. Let me be your cheerleader. What do you need? And I was like, um, can you use like, an assistant? He's like, okay, let me talk to your boss. And I mean, at that time it was like, I should have known to, if I needed help, I should have spoken up. And I think that's um, kind of lessons learned, you know? Yeah. There's so much you could handle and there's, again, people that are more experienced and smarter than you and if you need help and there's um, 
you know, you don't know how to get things done. And then like, whether it's like creative, like that's a part of partnering with you guys at work. It's um, creative with copy and creative with like design look and feel. And um, I think that's what makes a good producer is like trying to collaborate with people and learning from them and kind of, you know, instilling your knowledge as well. What, so um, just what made you raise your hand at that point and be like, I want to produce this. Having never done it, what was the tipping point? Um, seeing all the big commercials and knowing that I could do it. Uh, just like watching it, I'm like, I could do that. Why am I, why am I but doing you bigger you, ones? You could do it better? Um, <laughs> no, you know, I'm just like, what, what did you think that I'm sure it didn't look like a little amount of work? Why, why the hook? Why to go? Like, I, I can put my spin on this. I think there's a more efficient road to maybe go. Yeah. Well, I like a challenge. Yeah. So definitely that. And then, um, just looking at the commercials we were doing, we were spending a lot of money when we didn't have to. And we had like great resources internally from creative to producers and loving to take a challenge on. And now how yeah. now flash forward, is each one still a challenge? And I'm sure everyone's uh, presents a different challenge, but do you still get the, the un, unsure footing sense anymore? Or are you yeah. sort of past that? Uh, I mean, like it depends on the project. I know I was working on one where uh, these two creative directors were like, we need this done in three days. Like got to manage expectation guys. I don't think that could get done. And you know, um, after they kind of, patted me on the back and <laughs> rallied me. We know you could get it done. And I was like, okay, yeah, we could do it. But th these are the parameters we, you know, we'll have to figure out an easier solve for licensing footage and, you know, um, casting. You're not going to get a big casting call. Yeah, so there's sacrifices, but I think also think you're a classic sandbagger. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you, you like to, you're, you're the classic uh, under promise over deliver type. So, well, I think that's true. Yeah. Well, I, I want to dig into something there though that I find interesting because now you know I've had the opportunity to work with lots of different production companies and different producers, and there are those producers who are I'll call them sort of like Hollywood producers who they really have the capacity to be assholes about things. Like they will really get mean. And it oftentimes happens when there is a discrepancy. Um, it could be about budget. It could be about creative. It could be about whatever. And I think that there are also creative people in charge of projects who become assholes. You know, you'll get a communication of some kind, maybe it's an email and all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck is this? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I've literally never seen you do anything like that. And I'm sure maybe in your head you say that, but you are so even keeled and I'd like to know how you're able to maintain that under what are most of the time, the pressurized situations, the most pressurized situations. I think kindness goes a long way and just having a positive attitude. I've worked with folks before that, you know, were great partners and they're those assholes and I didn't want to be an asshole. I'm sure I am sometimes. Actually you're not. <laughs> no doubt. Um, Cause sometimes you, you have to, you know, draw the line and kind of um, take charge. But I, I think that's a part of being a great producer, just being able to keep your cool, no matter what happens, if something goes wrong on set, you have to like smile and pretend that everything's okay or keep calm and figure out a way to fix things. Cause a lot of the times the crew and, you know, the team look to you if you're stressing out and if you're being assholes to everybody that just creates like a negative um, set and I'm not for that. <laughs> well, that's a good segue. What can, in your, from your own words, what is the definition of a producer? Hmm. Well, there's different types of producing, but I would say a producer is uh, the person that gets shit done. <laughs> like they don't it. have good definition. Well, we've got the stinger quote. So. <laughs> yeah. Mario. That's good. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, just uh, for Uber context for our yeah. audience, um, on a classic production, right? Um, maybe your baseline. The role of the producer is what? 
I would say the producer is the one that kind of organizes not only budgets and schedules, timelines from pre-production, production to posts, um, but also just making sure that the creative, like working with art directors and um, depending on what you're doing, like film directors, just making sure that their vision is brought to fruition and within budget, of course, and timelines um, and just bringing that all together, making sure you hire the right people from um, gaffer to grip to uh, the DP to even the catering service. Um, and then there's also post-production, making sure that everything from start to finish, you know, it finishes like the creative's vision. And in order to vet all that, you need to know a lot about or a little about a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, like you've spent some time behind the camera, you spent some time editing. Do you think that has all filtered? I, I know it has, I know the answer, but I mean, yeah. like how valuable, what kind of price do you put on that, that sort of development? I think it definitely helped me to have a film and art background. Um, just knowing, you know, for um, just production, like cameras and lens choices. And then from post-production, knowing that if I'm asking for a simple edit, it's not going to take you a week to do because <laughs> I know that the timeline around that and um, just knowing the ins and outs and you don't have to be an expert about it, but know enough to, you know, to um, not get taken advantage. Exactly. Of, right. Yeah. I think that's really valuable. And that's, I think your knowledge has helped help you perform under very intense uh, deadlines, short deadlines. Um, speaking from experience as one of those, those people that have um, asked for things in three days <laughs> for things and an accelerated timeline. Um, but again, like but seeing you perform under those cir circumstances so often and, and what comes out the other end, you know, it, it, unfortunately for you gives some of us like Jed and I, the confidence to come with you. Some of these crazy ads, like, wow, this is, this is a crazy ask. We should really talk to Trang and, and inevitably you do sort of squirm a little bit, but then you, there is a sense that you are internalizing it and problem solving. And, and would you say, like you said, you're, you're really into problem solving. Absolutely. Is that the, is that the biggest kick you get out of this? What's the biggest kick you get out of this? <laughs> I would say like taking a challenge on like a production that literally has three days to uh, turn around from production to post. I remember, and I t shared the story with you, Sean, was um, one of my first jobs. My boss, um, I came to her with a couple issues and she was like, all right, great, pause. Next time, don't come with me uh, with problems. Come to me with solutions. And that kind of stuck. At that time, I was like, what kind of <laughs> advice is that? You know, and then as I... Um, grew up and got more experience and like it stuck. And rather than coming with the problem, try to come up with a solution. And if you can't reach out for help. So I think like challenges with quick term productions is like, all right, let's see how we could get this done. And um, what do we need to do in order to make sure that we can get it done? Is it, would that be advice you'd give to, uh, you know, young aspiring producers, just like you're, you are the problem solver. Like they kind of, at the end of the day, it's all going to start and stop with you. Absolutely. And it, again, if you can't, um, find the solution, work with like experienced folks in the industry and, you know, ask if you need help. So some of the things that you've talked about, um, I think have to do with attitude and, honestly, like human behavior, which from person to person is maybe a little bit hard to control, but what do you think the most important skills you have are actual skills, not necessarily like how you are made up genetically, but like literally skills, what you can do. If you're still in school, take some film classes, learn about the industry and uh, know the roles and responsibilities that come with filmmaking. And then when when and if you can get experience as a production assistant, I think that's one of the biggest roles that people don't realize. Um, production assistants pretty much are there to do anything and everything. 
and uh, just being on set, you you learn from watching. And if you're um, if you do it enough, I think uh, people in the industry will look to you for uh, for more work, more responsibilities. I, I remember actually, um, Moselle was on our first set as production assistants. Mm. And um, they're now our trusted partners at Under Armour and great filmmakers. And they were actually on one set as just literally production assistants. And we had some issues with the union walking off set. And it was like, all right, can you guys uh, do lighting and special effects? And they're like, okay, we can do it. Yeah. (laughs) So so that's great. That's all stuff that, I mean, I think we'll probably touch on those in the creative how, but for you personally, you're a brand of production. What do you think sets you apart? What do you feel like your superpower is? <laughs> patience. Okay. <laughs> uh, patience. And um, like there's going to be stressful moments, whether it's like trying to figure out um, how to work with certain budgets, especially when creators come with you with like these big ideas and just trying to manage expectations. Um, patience definitely helps. Um, and Again, like I, I said before, knowledge of the industry um, from production to post, knowing that if you're re- reaching out and working with an agency, that they're not like overcharging you for a very simple task. <laughs> so in, in addition to the patience part, I mean, what about pride of ownership in terms of just the actual creative output? I mean, because you, you bring the practicalness of these crazy ideas that we have. Do you, do you get a, a kick out of the making Absolutely. I think um, a part of it is when you get a crazy idea, you have to figure out, hey, is it worth it? Or is there something we could do to make it better? And I think that's a part of working with creatives and trying to bring that vision to life. Because in the end, you have to be happy about the finished product and make sure you know your partners are as well. If you're not proud of what you do, then you should be doing it. And I, I think that's a part of um, the world as well. And I think in our conversations, you kind of like, kind of, I guess, mentored me into that as well. Oh, really? Hey, <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks. <laughs> like, Charming. <laughs> oh, both, both. But um, recently, Sean, you came to me with a, you know, a comment on a project and it was like, in the end, we all have to be proud of what we do and, you know, make sure that the end product is right, whether it's taking additional hours or trying to like rework creative, even though it sucks because it's frustrating, but um, you have to be proud of the end product. It's a reflection on you. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think everybody feels that it's just sometimes we need reminding of that. And, and, and it's okay to, you know, that, I think the point at that, of that conversation was that it's okay to take a little extra time, maybe take some of the, the grief that we would get from the client or whoever's expecting it to, in order to preserve, you know, our personal brands, you know, cause yeah. we, all of these projects, they're a reflection on us as creatives. And I include you in that you're, you're a creative. And I think that's what, you know, you as a producer set you apart and you didn't say this about your superpower, but you've done all these other creative things. You've done graphic design, you've done photography, you've learned how to run a camera, you've done editing. Not all producers have done that, right? They come from a very organizational background and they just know how to get the moving parts and moving pieces all in one place and making working together. But you do, you take, stay through it through the entire process and you actually do have value and valuable input in terms of the quality and the approach. And you'll have smart branding comments or you'll have smart editorial comments. So I think Jed and I have both benefited from that sort of uh, third eye, second eye, second set of eyes. Either way. It's more than one set of eyes. I know that. But, you know, when, we, when we're absolutely in the thick of it, so close to it that we can't see it, it helps to have that that sort of outside, more objective viewpoint. And go, guys, yeah, I know you, you're like, you know, frame fucking this thing. Hey, now. <laughs> hey, but uh, you really should be thinking about it like like this. And I, I think that's when you come on and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, I wouldn't overlook that as one of your superpowers. <laughs> because I think it's the culmination. And part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you today, because I think you have developed a career 
you know, over the last, I guess, call it seven years that you've actually been producing at a high level from on like commercials and big fancy show pieces for Under Armour. Um, and, and that's, I think you've developed enough projects under your belt on your reel, quote unquote, that you've learned all of these tricks and you've developed the confidence to speak up when you do think um, the creative output maybe isn't to a, a certain standard that you even have. Yeah. And I think that knowledge and experience like helped me. And um, I know a lot of producers, they have different stories, but uh, for me, it was getting into the industry from video and graphic design and just trying to figure out, you know, as a producer, how do you bring that elements together and um, try to create great work? I think the something that I've noticed about you over the course of your career or however long I've worked with you is about the creative process and the creative process is pretty unregimented sometimes. And you kind of never know when something's going to happen right or wrong. Like you, you feel like you're going down a path sometimes that is the right thing to do. And then all of a sudden it shifts, right. Or nothing's happening and then there's a breakthrough or um, whatever, anything can happen. And I would just say candidly, I think early on the first times that um, I recognized your work, sometimes you were quick to say that could be a challenge. And I think today you're a, a lot more strategic in how you communicate with the people who are quote unquote coming up with the creative. And you, cause you, I, th I think you realize that they're going to get to a better place and if they can't, then you'll help them get there. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's a part of the whole collaboration, right? Um, producers working with creatives and trying to bring that vision to life. And I mean, right now I, I love what I do because I work with like great creatives and sometimes ideas are not so great. But uh, as a producer, you just kind of... I wonder what it's like <laughs> to be a creative that doesn't deliver great ideas. I don't know what that feels mm. like. Day in, day out. There's so many jokes right now that I just can't even... <laughs> my brain's exploding, so... Trying, please continue. <laughs> but a part of producer's um, job is to say like, hey, okay, I, I see your idea, but what if we do this? Or, you know, what if we approach it a different way um, to make sure that we're addressing certain parts of the industry? Like right now, social media with that uprise, we know that um, shorter clips retain better attention spans. So in a lot of um, what we're executing now is like short, quick, six to 15 second clips just for branded, you know, digital media placements. So that's, that's another thing. Like not only are you, oh man, like you have this crazy Rolodex in your head, you're sourcing directors that potentially could fit every project. You're selecting post houses that could potentially fit every project. Now you have this element of current events in terms of trends and trend spotting and learning constantly, you know, and, and making as a consultant, what are the right, you know, vehicles in terms of edit length, the output of, of those elements. Like, so it's all these things. You're not, you're not just like, let me get the caterer to here or whatever. You're, 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 you're expanding your horizons and you're making thoughtful analysis and trying to improve because it's a delicate, a delicate balance, right? You don't want to, you know, um, poo poo, I guess, um, a creative idea. So like, and when you're talking with temperamental creatives that can go one way or another, but you do want to feel like you're enhancing, right? Yeah. I think just, um, a lot of folks in the industry growing up from like traditional filmmaking commercials, you think about the 30 second to 60 second spot, you're not thinking about all these like digital media buys with YouTube pre-rolls that literally are six to 15 seconds in length sometimes. And um, just convincing, you know, the traditional creatives like, Hey, you have to think differently. You have to get their attention span earlier. And I remember Snapchat came in and they're like, Hey, just flip the script, you know, that logo at the end, put it at the beginning so that, you know, the first, one second that someone's watching this, they'll see the logo, they'll see the product. And then you could tell your story after that. You don't have to like be so scene say and stick to like the traditional storyline, like building up the scene and then 
action and then, you know, product placement and then in tech. So I think that's a part of learning. And that's next to phase. How have you adjusted that type of filmmaking? At first I, I hated it. I was like shooting vertically. What the heck? It's tough. It really is. But you, you figure out ways and with cameras nowadays, you know, we could shoot at 4k to all the way up to like 10k. Um, it could be, uh, bigger than that, but, uh, I mean, you could fix in post. I hate saying that. You you don't usually say that. I know. I, I say jokingly to creatives where, where, um, they're like, Hey, that's not the right, um, product. Uh, can we fix it in post? (laughs) Sure. Whatever. (laughs) How much money do you have? So, uh, trying shifting gears a little bit, I think a broad question just what are some of the coolest experiences you've had? Mm. Um, well, the first commercial that I did that was in five locations, got to go to Chile. So that was awesome and figure out how to um, battle um, the elements of snow. Like we, we had a complete whiteout that day when we were shooting Lindsey Vaughn. And uh, there was some challenges like the helicopter being able to like fly in that area and get those aerial scenes. Um, but that was really fun. And, um, I would say meeting really talented and nice athletes. I remember my first commercial that I did was, uh, in New York for a big cold gear campaign for Under Armour and got to meet Carl Edwards. He was a NASCAR driver. Didn't really know much about him, but he was the nicest person. Like he would come on set and talk to everybody, remember their names. Uh, we had a conversation. He, he wanted to figure out like best destinations to visit. And I was like, oh, you should check out Vietnam. <laughs> and he would remember my name. He would uh, remember the uh, hair and makeup person's name. And he was just so nice. And he wanted to be on set and a part of like the whole creative. So um, that was fun. And um, recently I say, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Uh, he, I've heard of him. <laughs> when he got on set, he was like straight hard to work and he stayed longer and he remembered everyone's name. And I remember I was just like running around and trying to get things done. And he was like, hey, Trang, how's it going? I'm like, oh, The Rock knows my name. That's awesome. <laughs> and he would know, like he would stop and make sure that everyone was okay. And, and I'm think pretty sure I would react the same way. <laughs> Oh, so would I. <laughs> Kidding me? The guy's awesome. Yeah. So wait, trying you you didn't mention when I maybe I just interrupted you, but what about uh MMA? Oh yes. Um George St. Pierre. How soon that was forget. one of my one of my favorites. Just because the guy's not relevant anymore doesn't mean he's no less of a champion. Now there's rumors that he's supposed to um fight against um Connor McGregor. No, not Connor. It was uh I think Khabib. Yeah. Jesus. That'd be a intense me. comeback. You lost me at whatever MMA. Sean Flanagan <laughs> likes Conor McGregor. What a shock. Conor. <laughs> what a shock. Okay, so on the on the other side of it, um, what are some of the biggest challenges you've ever faced, like the toughest problems you've had to solve? Trying to get creative done within certain budgets and certain, certain timelines. Um, sometimes it's like ridiculous timelines. Like that three day project. <laughs> that Look I how great with. that turned out. I Not know, that I know what ta- project know. you're talking about. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's a challenge for like a lot of our productions. Um, just trying to get things done. Um, you want to stay within budget or like under budget if possible, giving the client some money back, but uh, or saving some money for, you know, Overages, which I hate. Yeah, I hate that word, overages. I now call it additions. Additions, <laughs> okay. You heard it here. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest challenges at a producer. Not only bringing the creative to life, but making sure that you're within budget and within timelines. I wanted to ask, you know, in, in this day and age, Emilia, have you had any challenges just as a woman? becoming up in this industry is it has it been a challenge or what do you you know what's your point of view on that yeah um i would say yes um 
but also because I look younger than I actually am. <laughs> and when I first started working out, especially partnering with agencies, it was, um, they always thought I was like a production assistant on set because I was running around and had my like gear bag just in case anything <laughs> happened. And uh, they always thought I was a, like a PA and not like a producer for um, the brand. And I think that just looking young for your age um, was a challenge. But as the more I worked with like agencies and the more they got to know me and got to know my experience and um, my actual true age, I think that helped. You do plan for all contingencies. And I think that's one of the things I've inherited <laughs> from you. I think um, there's been times we, I have a pocket knife in the, in the podcast production sack nice. and, and that saved our lives a couple of times here. Um, but you, you do, you're, you, you don't trust anyone. <laughs> Is that how you would, you would say it? Um, it's not that I don't trust anyone. It's like, I want to make sure that I'm prepared because as a producer, you want to make sure you're prepared for anything and everything, whether it's bringing, um, a pocket knife or some, um, additional elements to the set, uh, or making sure that the people you hire are, are there to help you out. What's the toughest conversation you've ever had to have as a producer, maybe on set? Let's start with that. Like what, you know, cause talent isn't always agreeable. People don't always show up on time. Clients don't always dig what they're seeing. What, what maybe rises to the top is one of the toughest conversations you've had to have. Um, I, I think with talent, um, not showing up on time that sometimes often happens. It's working with creatives and saying like, Hey, we literally only have an hour now versus four hours. We need to cut something. What can we cut? And then sometimes creatives are like, we can't cut anything. I'm like, yeah, but you need to prioritize. How can I help you prioritize? Is it, um, is it less shots that we capture? And then it's working with directors as well, making sure that, you know, we're flexible and can adjust if anything happens and be prepared who is it toughest to work with, creatives, client, or talent? Hmm. Creatives. <laughs> I, I feel like that is an easy answer, and I, I wish it wasn't, but right. I, 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 I figured you'd say that. You're assuming yeah. the creative is not the talent. Oh. Well, also, we keep saying creatives, and obviously, Trang's on this podcast, and she is a creative. I'm talking yep. about the, sort of the people who um, think it up. Yeah. And... I would totally agree. I mean, like I generally we're we're that type of people and well, we we're not the, that cool. We ask the impossible. To work with. We are. We, and we ask the impossible. I think we, we dream in sort of somewhat reality, but usually we get paid typically to think big and as big as possible. And that may or may not consider the budget from time to time. Or the timeline. Yeah, Oftentimes. Or the, or the timeline. Almost all times. Because we are judged on a little bit of a different, like, wow, how out of the box and and then big and, and impactful. Effect, effective, yeah. Yeah. And then we go and talk to Trang and she brings it back down to reality. But that's her job. <laughs> and, and or she makes it happen. Yeah. You well, know? I think it's usually a blend. Incredible. It's a blend of the two. You yeah. know, you can't always have, you know, when you want Chevy Chase in your spot and she's like, well, Chevy Chase is really old. Maybe this other comedian can work. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Wow, Fine. that hopefully wasn't a real example. <laughs> not not well, so, respect to Chevy Chase, if, by the way. Uh, yeah, what but if it was? It seems an odd example. We're about to get inundated with Chevy Chase's uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You know what? I hope, I hope so. But, I mean, just, you know, I think so, like, you, you, you know, all, almost how you're talking now, you, you try to stay even keel. You try to stay democratic and objective. But are, are, has there ever been a project where you're like, yes. We are going to make this and we're going to make this if it kills me. Like, is there one that you just like threw yourself at and you were so inspired by what the potential of it was that you, you probably took some chances that you didn't think you should have taken? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, recently or like. Whatever, whatever the best example is, I guess. Um, uh, one of the earliest one was, um, for Under Armour's speed form, the launch of the first um, footwear uh, running shoe. And uh, it was a lot, not much budget, but uh, got to work with Peter Berg 
um, as the director. And that was really awesome just to see him on set. Peter Berger of Friday Night Lights fame. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was a challenge because the creative had a lot of elements from like talking about history to licensing um, footage from the past to um, just a lot of visual effects scenes. And that was, that was one of my biggest early challenges. And then recently there was a, I don't know if you remember the spot, but the curry spot with this digital opening. Hand. <laughs> I <laughs> what, do remember that. When I first heard that, that I was like, was genius yeah. by the way. All I remember was like total recall came into my mind yep. with that head. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to like Stephen Curry's head opening up and <laughs> unveiling the show. Turns out everybody loved it. Yeah. But <laughs> it, one of the challenges was um, we didn't have a lot of budget, you know, yeah. um, and we had to build a small set <laughs> and it it's, um, was a part of like, trying to figure out with the director and the DP and the creative as well. How do we make it look bigger than what we could afford? And um, I think the end product was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and then that speed form spot was huge, massive. Yeah. I mean, it was Hollywood level production yeah, with, that was crazy. with um, Porsche Cayenne mounted <laughs> <laughs> motion cameras, pretty, pretty intense stuff. And Peterberg, he's no, he's definitely an intense dude, talented guy. On set, it was fun to see him in action. But congratulations on wrangling that because it was awesome. I mean, for me personally, it was, and I know Jed, you were there too. It was, it was an amazing, amazing production that I do. I actually go back and, and look at that one and, and really fondly remember the time spent developing that. Yeah, I think just to break the fifth wall. I don't know what it counts as on a podcast, but to talk to the people who are listening to this one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast was to talk to people who don't work in our quote unquote industry, et cetera. But I think this is an interesting one because we've worked together with Trang so often. And um, I hope it doesn't sound self-serving because it's not intended to be because these were learning experiences for all of us. But that particular shoot was a, a perfect example of, so Trang had to work with a massive, massive Hollywood um, force I'll say, and also had to work with everything down to, like you mentioned before, trying catering and everything in between. And the production was a practical shoot. It was licensing footage. It was a massive amount of post work and man, was that impressive. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, but I hope people understand that like as a, as a aspiring producer, if you're out there, there's so much to learn and it's also incredibly exciting because that was a, a legit, a legit commercial. That was fun. I think that was the first time I started drinking hard liquor with you guys. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think that's true. And wow. we definitely drank yeah. a lot of we it. We are now at the Creative How Revelations. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's when I first started drinking in general. <laughs> understandable. Understandable. That's okay. That's okay. I will proudly own that part of it. Uh, okay. How about this? Creative How time? Creative house. What do you think? Yeah. All right. I think Sean, you're the best at this. You've proven this over and over again. But I, I usually like when you do it. All right, I'm you, doing it. You mock me. I'm doing it. Well, you know what? I won't go through the whole rigmarole, as some might say. Right. Trang, do it honestly. There is someone out there um, who is in high school, college, or maybe even wants um, to do something like you did, which was shift in your career, who wants to be a producer. What are the three or four? most important things that they need to do right away when they turn this podcast off to make that happen? I would say, um, get some knowledge and experience. So taking film classes, getting to know the industry, getting to know, um, jobs on set. If you're, if you want to be a film or commercial producer. Uh, and then I said before, like, try to get experience like real life experience as a production assistant. That's how a lot of people start. And then you kind of gradually move your way into like line producing and um, potentially bigger roles. And I think that would be my two tips. What about, um, I really think something you were talking about before in terms of 
the way that social media has changed marketing and advertising. I can only assume that's going to just keep escalating and yeah. getting faster and faster. How are you staying current on that yeah. stuff? Um, just trying to get as much data and research. Like every time we finish a spot, just trying to get that data, like what worked? Um, was it the shorter uh, commercial spot or was it the long form content? And just learning from that and, you know, working with our consumer engagements team that helps as well. And uh, I think my nieces and nephews, they, they're all on YouTube and <laughs> kind of learning from them as well. Like all they do is like watch influencer videos and they'll literally sit there and watch unboxing of like yeah, toys. It's, crazy. it's unbelievable. And, and they're into Minecraft. So they'll watch other people playing Minecraft. Yeah, it's we like, know all about Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> but like just learning from the younger generation, what really like interests them because that's kind of the target audience so right now. Yeah. Observe. It's, um, streaming media is like huge. Like, you know, you guys know Netflix and Hulu and YouTube, like, uh, they go from big budgets to little budgets, but it's like creating great new content to share with, um, people. And, and then from a, from a granular, sorry to cut you off, but granular level, like, you know how to operate cameras, you know, lens choices, you know, things like that. Like how, how deeply should a aspiring producer get into that stuff? I think um, knowing enough about lens choices to work with directors helps as well. Like, for example, if a director, which sometimes happens, uh, wants to shoot with a phantom camera and you don't have a lot of time on set, those cameras could literally take hours or longer extended periods of time just because how they shoot in um, really high frame rates. So just trying to balance that out, like, Hey, do you really need to shoot a f- with a phantom camera or you just want to play with the phantom camera? <laughs> right. Cause um, it does make mesmerizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, like in the end it's about money and time and just making sure that there's enough time to execute creative. And I think as a producer, you just have to know enough to know that, you know, with lens cho- choices and camera choices, like do we have to break the budget to get what you need? No, if it, especially if it's only for like social media. Right. Is the yeah. juice worth the squeeze yeah, kind exactly. of thing? So I think there's something that a lot of people who have um, a lot of experience in specific professions do, which is discount things that they take for granted a little bit. And one of the things I think you're doing is honestly like working with different types of people on complex projects. So how do you, how do you do that? No. I think each project you approach it completely differently because it's it depends on the creative and the timelines and the budget and um, you have to make sure that again you're executing the original idea but also giving um, ways to make it better if you can. Um, there are creatives that are very easy to work with and they'll take your advice and they'll go with the flow. And there's others that, um, really are strong minded and, um, they're like, this is what I want. This is, you know, how I want to execute it. And it's like, all right, let's try to figure out a way like a middle ground to get where you need to go. Like, I remember a project where they were thinking maybe we should do it in film. Like, you know how much money that costs? <laughs> um, do we need to? Or do you just want something to say like, hey, we shot it on traditional film. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a it's lot of more time and now. effort. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, what about trends like that? Are you, and I'm sure you hear them every day, you know, what? how do you sift through the, the ones that are valid and ones that are probably a flash in the pan at this point in time? How do you talk people off ledges like that? I think you kind of try to follow the industry and make sure that it's just not like a trend that everybody is doing. You know, you want to make sure you set your creative apart from or production apart from um, everybody else. Because again, consumers have a very short attention span. If they think that, you know, something has already been done and it looks like everything else, they're not going to watch. So um, just making sure you're up with industry standards and knowing what's going on in the world. So what's next? 
in the in this progression. Um, what's next? Future films. What uh, are we? Where are we at? Um, I might revive the Perfection Band. Um, oh. I, I need to learn but how absolutely. to play the drums just for real. New members. <laughs> it's a brand. It's yeah. going to live on regardless of who the members are. But you know what? What? What's next? I mean, what? What? What haven't you done yet? From a production standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint, that that you hope and maybe in the next couple of years you you will tackle. Um, I think would love to do more like long form storytelling, like with you know the Netflix and the Hulu's and the Amazons, doing more extended series stuff, whether it's for a brand or kind of for an independent filmmaker. That would be, I think, a, a great challenge. What about? I thought that? you would say VR. Yeah. Uh, VR kind of dabbled in it, but I think it's, um, it's a trend. Um, it's hot take. (laughs) It's just, um, it's not the industry with VR and augmented reality. It's not to the level that, you know, um, it's readily accessible. It's getting there. And, um, I think I told you guys about, um, the void they do have in New York a Ghostbuster experience, which is like um, 5D, which you pretty much are in virtual reality. And then you get to experience senses from smell to touch to um, just sound as well. Uh, but there's another one in uh, Florida. It was a Star Wars experience. It was amazing. I think they're getting there, but it's it's not rel- like easily accessible for consumers. Um, right. But it's getting there. I, I think it's going to take some time because it costs a lot of money for like really good VR. Right. Yeah. We tried it for, um, we did something for CES. It was very, uh, lo-fi and I mean, got the job done, but was it to the extent that we wanted to, was I proud of it? (laughs) As Sean would say, say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. Well, and I mean, look, you're putting, you're signing your name to some things and, right. and you got to edit your personal brand. I continue to say that. And I think you've done a great job. You've had more hits than misses. Um, so I think you should Absolutely. be proud of, proud of that, that sort of thing. So trying, if people um, want to find out more about you as a brand, as your own personal brand, how can they reach you and how can they follow you like Instagram, Twitter? Um, you can check out my website trangdom.com have you cleared that up trangdom.com yes trangdom photography do not go to that website oh my god (laughs) what I learned was um, you should not let your uh, domain license lapse because if you do people will purchase it and you have to pay a lot of money to get it back so trangdomphotography.com don't go to that it's like uh, an adult site right now (laughs) well I definitely won't be going to that can tell you that much. It's all in Japanese, so I don't know what they're actually selling, but there's a lot of um, visuals of. Um, well, I definitely won't be going to that. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's probably blocked at the workplace. No, I really am not going to go to that. No, I'm not making sure. No, no, no. Yes. And then Instagram, or is that followable, um, or are you are you very you kind of close that off? I kind of close that off, but I I do have um, a side business, a photography site that I do like family, um, photography, weddings and cool. Why don't you give that? Yeah. Um, so that's trying to home photography on Facebook, not the actual URL. Okay. Yeah. Great. Very cool. Thank you so much. And, uh, you're awesome. Thank you again. I know you were nervous, but you did great. Crushed it. Thanks for having me guys. And I hope you edit this very thoroughly. (laughs) What do you mean edit? We can't edit. You know, I didn't sign a release. Though. I have to edit the question that I asked during still, the creative house because it took 10 minutes to get to a very simple question. I'm still working on the call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Jed, always a great conversation with Trang. I don't know about you, but I know when I break down and bring her a project, I, know I can see the wheels turning and she's already off analyzing, breaking it down to its component parts. And, and I know that she's going to give everything she has to build this thing. Yeah. I'm also always impressed by her understatedness in terms of what her abilities are. She, she knows every part of the filmmaking process, which in and of itself is amazing, but also she's a really, really sort of uh, seasoned and experienced creative 
from other aspects. So she's really unique. So everybody go check her out. Give her some love. Also check us out at creativehowpodcast.com and creativehowpod at Instagram and Twitter. Show notes will be up there. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcasts, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know YouTube that's probably a White Noise Lab original more often than not. So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.